Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy podcast series. Electrification, rise of renewables and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry. Welcome to a new episode of DNVGL Talks Energy. My guest today is Gordon Faulkner, Global Director Smart Cities from Schneider Electric. Welcome, Gordon. Good morning, Matthias. How are you? Very well. We want to talk about smart cities today and how they operate. Um, but before we get into this topic, it would be great if you could introduce yourself as a person as well as Schneider Electric. Sure. Um, so I'm uh, Gordon Faulkner, the Global Director of Smart Cities for Schneider Electric. Um, I'm based in Singapore, but I have a fairly global brief, obviously, and so I support the company globally on the topic of smart cities. So that means I am basically running around the world, uh, working with government, property developers, you know, uh, municipal council, federal government, state, etc., and helping to support my company with its engagements with the public sector and um, obviously also private sector operators and within cities and within the smart city environment. Uh, I'm actually a property developer or a chartered surveyor uh, by background. I used to work for the Abu Dhabi government many years ago and in charge of the strategy for Mazda City, uh, which was a zero carbon $20 billion city. And uh, then I went to uh, Cisco and now last four years I've been with Schneider Electric. And Schneider Electric is uh, the world's leader in um, energy management um, automation control system. So we're very much about product solutions uh, and services uh, into the energy sector. But that encompasses the built environment and uh, every facet of a city, whether it's water, power, transport or buildings. Um, our little bits and pieces of operational technology are involved in everywhere we go, almost. Right. Um, Gwen, smart city has become a bit of a buzzword. And if you go to conferences, uh, often people kind of just raise this question, what does it actually mean, smart? And there are certainly very different dimensions to this. So it would be very interested in, in your view on what, what we actually mean when we talk about a smart city. Um, a friend of mine, not far from here, at, uh, professor at NUS, had his students do some research to work out how many definitions of smart cities And I think he said it was in excess of 250 definitions. <laughs> okay. So there are many, many definitions uh, for smart city. Um, I tend to use doing more with less enabled by technology. Either way, there is, a, I would say, a general consensus across all of those definitions that has some element of technology being an enabler to do things a little bit better. Mm. So that's also interesting in that sense. Uh, here in the region, we have this ASEAN Smart Cities Network. If you listen to their problems they want to solve, it's very basic problems, actually. It's not this far-out technology there. Something about waste and wastewater. It's about um, livable homes or affordable homes, and it's something about transport. Mm -hmm. um, I would be interested uh, to get a bit of an outlook uh, about the global development about this topic. So different cities have different problems to solve. Yeah. Um, so how would you see the regional spread about what's going on in the smart city development? I think I'll, I'll, I'll pick up on what you said right at the beginning, uh, which is um, in, in respect of the Asian cities, and in particular that the problems are different and, and, and in some ways I think you were touching on fundamental. 
and I was um, chatting with a uh, an Indian chap the other week. I do a lot of work in India, and um, and he made the comment: you can't have a smart road unless you have a road. So the fundamentals have to be put in place first <laughs> before you can get too fussed about being smart. So in that sense, you know, if you if you're looking at a you know, a well-established Western city. Um, where are you from in Hamburg? Okay, so yes, so very well-established, you know, German city in terms of infrastructure, and you've got everything kind of in place. So in that sort of environment, and I've done a lot of work in European cities, in particular Amsterdam and um, uh, Barcelona. All of that sort of city, like Hamburg, you've got you've got this building block in place, and then you can start to do things on top of it to, shall we say, extend the life of older infrastructure or get more out of it, make it perform better, etc. Whereas when you don't have a road, you don't have a bridge, you don't have running water, there's 300 million people in India without energy, you know, directly to their homes. You know, you've got to get the fundamentals in place first. So, so the challenges are different. And what I tend to see in the, let's call it the emerging countries where they're catching up on, you know, on, on infrastructure in a sense, those ones take a slightly more pragmatic kind of view where they're making a road, but they're making it a little as smart as they can within the parameters of not going over the top because they have to make sure that there is a road. They're probably unlikely to go and build a road and at the same time put sensors in, in, the, in the road itself to work out whether there's a car park there or not. They're just going to get the road in first and they might worry about that type of um, technology you know, down the track. So I, so I think you see a slightly more pragmatic um, implementation of a smart city. Um, having said that, uh, we've got a project in India where uh, they're building a new region next to an existing city, and they're putting in a lot of things that um, other cities around in the West don't even have. They're putting in a microgrid. They're, they're putting in smart water uh, in terms of water scatter, which you know, to monitor the uh, pipes. They're doing a whole lot of things that are actually quite good. But they're still practical. So, so I think, I think what I tend to see in the developing world is an element of smart, but it's very much based around practical. I mean, it's interesting, uh, because we also hear this discussion that, uh, doing greenfield projects, and I think, uh, you, oh, I know you just mentioned you were involved in Mustar, which is probably something where people had all the freedom that you'd like to have. Oh, they were constrained. And anyway, you had something yep. you didn't have to build in existing infrastructure or didn't have these constraints. But we clearly see that it doesn't seem to be just a clear benefit or, or a disadvantage in that sense. So it, building into an existing infrastructure comes with the benefit of having something you can build on. Building greenfield comes with the benefit of you are not constrained because yes. something there is nothing uh, you, which could constrain you, apart from money maybe. But uh, how is that balance working? You're absolutely right in the sense it's, it's both scenarios, both greenfield and brownfield, have their advantages and their disadvantages. And they are different advantages and they are different disadvantages. So um, there was a European city that um, was looking at putting in district um, heating as a service with a with another company, they couldn't actually do it because they didn't own or have control of the fundamental pieces of infrastructure that the private sector company needed to deliver the heating as a service. Because the city was old, developed, and its structural, not structural, but its um, legal you know, uh, framework was so complicated, in a sense, that they couldn't do that. 
when we were developing Mazda, we were obviously going to be putting in district cooling, you know, um, as a service. And we didn't have that sort of a problem. But then there were all sorts of other issues because it is greenfield. And one of the fundamental issues of any greenfield development is, and we used to have this saying, you can't build half a power station. Right. Right. So if you're building a proper, if you're really truly building a city, that means you're responsible for the energy generation, the water capture and distribution, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Those sort of problems, building real estate at the same time as building infrastructure is actually quite problematic because the world that most of us have lived in, the property developers have just gone in and built on a piece of land and plugged into everybody else's grids, existing networks, no problem. But suddenly you're building a district or something that's pertaining to uh, trying to be a city scale. You've suddenly got the issue of timing. And I'm sure from your side, you know, we all know about PPAs and et cetera, et cetera, but the, the takeoff risks, the offtake, you know, all that gets more complicated when the developer is suddenly saying, well, no, I don't want to build all the residential first. I'll build some of the commercial, then I'll build some of the residential. And then the infrastructure team saying, well, hang on, when do we, when do we start building the power station or the, uh, when do we start putting in the photovoltaics and when do we? Gordon, you mentioned uh, legal aspects, regulatory aspects. Um, there's also finance. Yep. Um, there are big numbers out there. Um, there's a report, Smart City Tracker, saying that the market is growing from about 40 billion US dollar in 2016 to about 80 plus in 2025. So I would be interested if you agree with that. But more importantly, is where is all that money coming from? I think it's not a matter of um, where the money's coming from, because. Projects in smart cities are done at different levels and structured in different ways. So if you're looking at a greenfield, as we were just talking about, a greenfield city, um, the money will generally come from the real estate. You know, And to a certain extent, there's always been a, a bit of an old, um, um, not a rule of thumb, but a way of doing greenfield real estate, which is you sell, uh, a master planner will sell some land to pay for the infrastructure. He keeps the best pieces of land for himself and develops those and third-party people come in, and away you go. In existing cities, obviously, the money for projects, as distinct from, so we're, we're talking difference in here between capex and opex. Okay, opex, you know, for cities tends to be fairly consistent, but it's the capex which is different. Now, the capex money is coming in from a variety of sources all the time, anyway. So, whether it's coming in from federal, from like EU, or from uh, could even be IFC, World Bank, you know, um, ADB here, et cetera, et cetera. The money will come in in different areas for different types of projects. They will then just happen to be deployed generally in a city. So in a sense, it's not a matter of working out the market size, you know, for smart cities and then saying where the money, is the money going to come. It's really just a matter of working out what does the city need to do? What are the best way of doing the projects? Now, I, I've adopted some years ago the, the why, what, how. It's just, why do you do it? What do you do? How do you do it? You know, And the why is the business case, as in the environmental, the social, the economic impact. The what is the technology or the project itself, and the how is the policy, the financial, governance, operating models, etc. So as long as you kind of work that all out, the money will then flow. Um, there is a lot of, um, a lot of uh, funds out there chasing a good return, you know, in the sense of, and they might only be ch- chasing 7%, but they're actually still chasing it. Now, if 
projects are put together in the right way, the money will flow to those projects. Whereas if the money doesn't flow to a project, you've kind of got a question, well, is the project being put together well? Mm-hmm. Is there a fundamental you know, basis there? Now, of course, at that point, you've then got to then distinguish between social infrastructure that has only a social return versus a pri- something that is attractive to the private sector because they can get a financial return and get a very nice IRR. Um, and obviously in cities, you've got a mixture of, of the two, and that's where government may well have to step in, mm. either federal, state, regional, or bigger, to actually help fund some of the social infrastructure projects which need to be done. It's a slightly complex topic, but I'd also like to go back to this motivation question. So we have these big cities, Singapore, Shanghai, Amsterdam, New York, competing with each other, also to attract multinationals and and everything. Um, So they have, of course, a different funding perspective than others. But a very important aspect is also things which have to be done to address things like megatrends, like urbanization. Many people moving into cities, especially also here in this region, you, you talked a bit about India. Mm-hmm. So people that have, or cities have to handle problems. There's a job mm-hmm. to be done. Um, and sometimes that might be regarded as the next mayor's problem. I'm also talking about climate mm-hmm. resilience and all mm-hmm. these kind of things. So having established this, and then talking about the citizen who has to kind of engage with the city and perceive it as smart. Uh, In this kind of sphere, I would be kind of interested in your opinion, um, how, you know, how smart city becomes something people realize is making their lives better and and, and be a real thing. To be fair, there's there's actually two elements, though, to being smart, as in um, a city can be smart invisibly, and it can be also smart visibly, or a combination of both. So having a very efficient energy grid is kind of invisible. The citizens may not realize it, but because the power doesn't go off, there are no blackouts or brownouts, but they don't kind of realize every day that they've actually got a very good, smart energy grid. And that's a bit of a fundamental in a smart city, is having good energy, right? Um, Whereas then the visible part of smart tends to be, oh, okay, I've got all these apps on my phone, which makes my my transport, uh, the way I navigate the city, easier. Um, that's a much more visible way. Uh, there's also probably, I guess, also the element of uh, communication. So if you look at Barcelona, uh, Barcelona City now has a different administration, which has changed the focus from smart city to far- smart citizen. Okay, and that's very much a messaging to the to the people. So the previous administration was very strong on smart city and and very pro-business and making sure that they were doing interesting different things that were obviously fundamentally good for the people. But the new administration is taking it, you know, um, very much closer, closer to the people in that everything has to have a a link to the citizen. So you're just seeing, in a sense, a, a different way of doing things. But that's how cities work. If you think about it, most cities actually do the three Ps. So not PPP, but the three Ps. They do policies, programs, and projects. And each government will have a different set of policies, which will then translate to different programs, which will then translate to different projects. Um, Yes, it's a competition, and and some cities will use it as a communications kind of PR kind of thing. But at the end of the day, they're still judged by the citizens. So if they're not doing a good job, 
you know, they get voted out in a, in a democracy. But even, even in, um, in countries where there is less, uh, less democratic presence, you've still got, uh, the mayors and the people who are running the city very responsive to the people. So I've done work in China previously a lot and they're very, very responsive and very progressive. So ultimately they're still trying to do the right thing for the people. It will just manifest itself in slightly different ways of visibility versus invisibility. Gordon, uh, talking about all these things, one very important aspect is sustainability. Um, and cities is actually one of the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. So I know you are active in that area as well, and I would mm. be interested about what you're doing in that. I guess I'm active in, in two areas. Uh, first of all, because Schneider has a huge focus around sustainability because energy efficiency and uh, is, is at the core of sustainability anyway. Um, but then I, I, I wear another hat, which is I'm the uh, chairman of the advisory uh, industry board for the USC, United Nations um, USC Smart Cities Program, uh, which is run out of Europe. And the UN is, is, is taking a, a view now that to, to achieve the SDGs, the seven... 17. The 17 SDGs that they need to sort of get more involved with cities because everyone does recognize that the cities are the engines of the world in the sense, the powerhouse. But there is still, has always been this fundamental problem of connecting the private sector with the cities in the right way. They're always talking, but they're not necessarily communicating. And so the USC Smart Cities Program is, is very much trying to drive um, via the UN all of those different SDGs into cities. And so this program is, is being worked on at the moment. It'll be launched heavily next year in 2019. Um, and the idea will be to really try to fundamentally get everybody working together in such a way that the projects happen and that the needle gets moved and that the SDGs are achieved because some of them are really not on track, probably, I suspect. Okay, Gordon, unfortunately we are coming uh, slowly to an end of this episode. Uh, before we end, I'd like to ask you a slightly visionary question as mm -hmm. a citizen. Yep. Um, maybe talking about evolutionary versus revolutionary. <laughs> so when we look 10 years down the line, what do we expect as a citizen is different in our day-to-day -day life living in a smart city? Yeah, It's a good question. I think... Um I think the fundamentals will be the same. Ten years ago, we were still drinking coffee in cafes. And ten years before that, we were drinking coffee in cafes. Now, what we were doing in the cafe, ten years ago, we may or may not have been using our iPhone. Certainly, twenty years ago, we probably weren't. And we are probably communicating. And actually, you probably know about the bar in England where they've built a Faraday cage um, around the bar yes. to ban the use of um, mobile technology so that people in the bar have to communicate to it with each other and the only way they can actually talk to someone else on the phone is if they pick up a phone on the table, which is a landline, <laughs> and talk to another table. But I, I think we'll still be drinking coffee you know, in, in the cities. I think in 10 years we will keep seeing incremental change. Um, at a city level, at a smart city level, um, I think we'll start to see more more focus on the invisible parts. So I think the cities will just get smarter underneath the hood. I think our transport networks will probably be the biggest visible 
change that we'll see in terms of the way we navigate. The trains will be there, the buses will be there, the cars will be there. I don't think we'll have the flying cars <laughs> or anything like that in 10 years, but I think the way that we navigate will be a lot better and a little bit more seamless because if you think about it, at the moment our phones are not linked to anything really. None of our devices are linked to anything. So as machine learning gets better and as things are linked more and more, I think navigation will be something that will improve. And we might see little tweaks of little things so that when I'm walking into this building for a meeting, my phone already knows which way for me to turn left or right. And in fact, sends you a message before I even have to pick my phone up and, and ask reception, where is Matthias sit? You know, so I think we'll see those sorts of little changes, but we'll still be eating, sleeping, driving, flying, doing all the usual things, but there'll be the little enhancements. Gordon, um, thank you very much for your uh, good insights on smart cities uh, and the discussion. Feel and talk. Very good. <laughs> and thank you very much to the listeners for listening in. That was Gordon Faulkner, the Global Director of Smart Cities of Schneider Electric. Thank you for listening to this DNVGL Talks Energy podcast. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnvgl.com slash talksenergy.